0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapiro and with me... Hello, I am Vengeance, I am the Knight, I am Sean Edry. Yes, and this is a comic book podcast brought to you by the fine folks at Seaport, the best online and unusual source for comic books news, reviews, previews, and critique. Buy their books, watch their movies, read their articles. And remember, Seaport is
1: on Patreon, support smart criticism and comics.
0: Shall we go on straight to the news?
1: Let's. What have uh, you got?
0: Uh, well, there was this trailer for a movie... The third Captain America Civil War, I should say, because if I just say the third Civil War trailer, I just think of a historical drama of some sort, <laughs> which this is not. Anyway, the third Captain America Civil War trailer. probably, I think. We'll see. The last one. I don't know. They all in with these big movies. They always roll more and more stuff as the mm. movie comes close. So maybe it came out and. Some new shots, some new scenes, some very cool stuff. But the big reveal at the end is the Marvel Cinematic Universe version of Spider-Man. Yes. Who apparently, if we take the you know the short scene as it presented, he will. He's not just you know a flyby. He will actually be a part of the film.
1: Yeah, he's an active participant in a particular. In scene. the Civil War. I'll. I'll in the five.
0: In the five people against five people war.
1: Oh, listen, considering the damage each of those people can do, you yeah. can call it a war. It's okay. Um, I will say this. I have a certain policy with Marvel movies specifically, which is to watch the first trailer and then not watch it mm. anymore because they do have a tendency to jam the entire movie into these trailers. I made an exception for this one only in terms of I jumped in at the very end when Spider-Man appears because even now I have certain misgivings about Spider-Man in this movie. When you talk about how the film is being advertised, how it's been shown, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about Black Panther's role. Apparently it's significance. Yeah. More so than people thought. It's, like it's a it's ridiculously
0: it. long movie. It's like two hours, 30 minutes so plus. This was Age of Ultron, though. Yeah, but it it's the longest Marvel movie. So they technically have time to put all these saga-esque things, but you do kind of worry that concerns. the actual Captain America is lost in the mix. From the actual trailer, it looks like Bucky versus Iron Man versus everybody else and Captain America is like,
1: oh, I'm here also. Hello? Me? Um, Steve Rogers? Remember me? I mean, that could just be a marketing thing. Yeah, I yeah. know that the Russos have said on more than one occasion that Captain America is still the main character yeah. and that they have taken steps to ensure that. Yeah, and
0: they kind of had to do it because DC's up and out with batman v superman well no i think they kind of had to do it because and the the one thing they could use to upman upmanship that is bringing the third biggest comic book character in all yeah. history
1: yeah and also because there's been so much anxiety about tom holland's performance i think it's reasonable to have certain doubts like we don't know who this kid is we've seen him in maybe one or two movies he might be good at it. He might not. The scene itself doesn't give you a lot to evaluate. But in terms of what you see with the wisecracking and all that, it's fine. You know, I don't think that... Wise- we have any... He tells one joke. Uh, yeah, but it is a very Spider-Man-esque mm-hmm. joke. The skepticism is really a product of Age of Ultron. Because I really feel like that movie punctured the myth that Marvel could do no wrong with its movies. Because I didn't have a problem with any of the previous ones. Now it is sort of a situation where I'm like, you may be biting off more than you can chew. Mm-hmm. Even in a movie that's two and a half hours long, two hours forty minutes long, you know, you've got 12, 15, 16 characters, and this is the sort of thing that tends to create movies like X Men: The Last Stand. I would rather this not be that again. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. Yeah. I mean, the movie's coming out what next month?
0: Yeah, the trailer's so. not bad. It's it's fun. You know, it looked like high And octane, I like the premise. You yeah, know, the action premise smash. Makes sense. So, yeah.
1: we'll see what happens.
0: It will be better than the comic book. It couldn't be much worse. No, no. They, they would have to work hard for it. Other non-comic comic news? Yes. Preacher?
1: So, AMC's Preacher has a release date. Mm-hmm. Uh, the series begins airing May 22. Initial response to the pilot episode has been good. There was a lot of discussion Have about... you watched it? I haven't seen oh. it, but I have been tracking the uh, responses. People had a peek at the pilot... I'll admit that I was never a huge Preacher fan, mm-hmm. but there's no denying that it has a strong following even today.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a bigger manis fan than you by a, by a long time, But even now, I'm not the biggest Preacher fan. I've always been more of a Hitman man. A okay. Hitman man man.
1: It's worth pointing out that the casting is superb for this show. Like, AMC really went all out. They got Dominic Cooper to play Jesse Custer. Uh, Ruth Negga is playing Tulip. And Joe Gilgan, formerly of Misfits is Irish Vampire Cassidy.
0: That's his full name then, Irish Vampire Cassidy.
1: First name, Irish. That sounds Irish. like something out of an anime. Yeah. It's like, you know, I am Irish Vampire Cassidy, and then the transformation sequence begins. But um, So he was Scottish <laughs> before the transformation? That's I terrible. Don't even know. I'll be checking it out. Again, like it's not preacher something that I have a should... huge nostalgic attachment to, mm. but it's worth a look, I think.
0: I would really want to read a Preacher manga by the guy who did Helsing. That would be very interesting. Yeah. And I think like I, very wrong. Yeah. Again, I'm sort of on the fence about it because for me, Preacher, for all its good qualities or bad qualities, is very much a 90s thing. Yeah. And like I said, they're not going to do it as a period piece, I assume. And bring it I to the. No. Yeah. And bring, and it's not nostalgic enough, the 90s, for it to be a period piece. And bringing it into the 2010s seems a bit out of place, out of time. Well, but, the advantage uh, we'll... there is
1: that, from what I recall of the setting, you know, they're basically just running around in a car. Yeah, or, like it could technically happen anytime. The tone of the comic itself, yeah. I think, was very 90s in the sense yeah. of, you know, typical Ennis trying to. There were conspiracies, test the borders. yeah, and, and, and then, then, the borders then a lot of, and of Jesus article, and... Our space and all of that, like really trying to be. Shocking. It's and not, I don't think that AMC is the right place for it's
0: that. It's not as 90s as, say, The Invisibles, which is the most 90s... Not comic, because, you know, not 90s... The Invisibles? Yeah, Grant
1: Morrison. Morrison's Invisibles?
0: Yeah. Grant Morrison's Invisibles is so much off its time. Is and it? in a, Yes, in a good way, but it's so much... You know the spirit of the age with the conspiracies and the aliens and the drugs and the raves and we don't have any big enemy. Uh, the Cold War is over, so we we just have to make up enemies in our minds, destroy the them. The government, yeah, yeah. Like you I couldn't guess. do it today. You couldn't do it The Invisibles today because I mean, happy, you, you happy say fun that,
1: and yet X Files is back. Yeah, you know,
0: but and from what I heard, people hate the new X Files. Wow. The, re- the reviews were terrible. But The Invisibles today is happy, fun, psychedelic terrorists. Say that now. Happy fun, protagonist, psychedelic terrorists.
1: And think it through. The whole concept of terrorist heroes tends to get a little muddied after 9-11. But I think that Preacher might actually benefit from being an adaptation in this case. Because we have seen many indications of television series that tend to get the wrong message from the text that they're adapting. Here, it might actually work to sort of tone down Ennis's more... I don't want to say wacky because that's not the tone, but like he does have the tendency uh, to be. Sometimes he goes all out with the black humor. For no reason. You know, just like being completely excessive. And if AMC can rein him in a little bit, the end result might actually be a little better. Who knows?
0: We'll see. Uh, Last of the movie TV news. uh, After months and months of rumor, it's finally been confirmed that both Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill will return to their iconic roles as Batman and the Joker in DC's universe' latest. Animated straight to DVD film, The Killing Joke.
1: Now I have to say that I don't know why they're doing The Killing Joke. Even Alan Moore has disowned it. But the thing is, and bad—I don't know if you've seen Bad Blood. I have. It's it terrible. terrible. All of they re- did Batwoman so wrong. In that really,
0: movie. that's the re—I really like The Killing Joke, and for obvious eh. story. Sister- and for obvious historic reasons, I really like Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill in, oh, as listen, Batman and the Joker. The
1: Batman and the, the Joker. There's but no... the
0: DC direct-to-DVD line has been terrible for years now. I think their last good movie was the Wonder Woman movie, which was their least successful movie. So Is that stopped. the
1: one where she? there's a little girl crying on a bench and then she teaches her how to sword fight? Something like that. Yeah, I, I, okay, I remember that.
2: I, I, I like that. It okay. okay. Yeah.
1: but I mean the majority well no 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 that's not entirely fair I would say that Gods and Monsters was pretty good oh right Gods and Monsters was pretty good but but Gods and Monsters was not a DCU movie yeah it was an alternate universe thing yeah and the the movies that have been sort of in continuity, like the latest Batman Justice League
0: War Flashpoint no I'm
1: thinking here specifically of like the Batman trilogy that Bad Blood concludes yes which you know brings in Damian Wayne and all of that nonsense these are just not good movies no and and the funny thing is, you know, Bad Blood ends with sort of a two-second cameo of Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. And now you're telling me the next movie they're doing is going to be The Killing Joke. You know, it is a story that changed Barbara Gordon in a very permanent way. But she has not been in these movies. No. So I don't know why they're doing this. Well,
0: it it works as a standalone. I've read the graphic novel. Yes, I've read the graphic novels as a standalone. Most people... If you look at the book scan, yeah, the book scan sales that mm. Brian Hibbs is doing yearly. This year and if I remember correctly the year before The Killing Joke was DC's comics highest selling graphic novel by a huge margin. Why
1: though? Because I it, don't understand its popularity. I really don't. Like The big, Dark Knight Returns you can make a case for it still being popular. The same goes for Year 1. I don't understand why The Killing Joke is successful. Its whole premise is that The Joker arbitrarily decides to shoot Barbara Gordon and paralyze her just because, because he wants to drive Jim Gordon insane. Mm. She wakes up in a hospital and is like, somebody do something about him. No, no. They go and confront the Joker who leads Batman and, you know, Jim Gordon. And in a, a fact, goose chase yeah. through this whole uh carnival of, of killers, where he claims to be presenting his origin, but in fact, the whole point of the story is that even he doesn't know his origin story because he's the Joker. And it ends with that ridiculous and unnecessary open ending of you don't know if Batman has strangled the Joker to death at the end of the story because the laughter just cuts yeah. off, and it's like, okay, this is an Elseworlds. This is like I don't know what this is, no, it, but why well, would it, you?
0: It's not an outsource because DC has decided it to be canon. So he doesn't kill yeah. the Joker? No. Yep. So, you know,
1: it's like, I, I don't
0: see the, the benefit. I of it. really, okay, we're not gonna review the killing joke not? here. Not yet. Maybe you when know. the movie comes out, we'll sure. review the, we'll butt heads over the killing joke. It's a very popular, very well liked movie, even though, like you said, even, Ellen Moore hasn't disowned it so much, as he said, I remember the interview in particular. He said, it's just a Batman story. It's not a very good story overall. It's just a story about Batman, and I like my, great stories Well, no, have a point has, he has
1: I, I specifically recall interviews in which he said and again this is Alan Moore so yeah, he take it with a grain and... of salt but he has said that like the whole thing of the fact that the only thing that really came out of Killing Joke and stuck was the fact that Barbara Gordon was paralyzed and that that in itself <laughs> to him when he was writing it was an afterthought like he didn't actually mean for it no. to be what it was and lead to Oracle, and then like lead to mm. her getting out of the chair and into the chair and out of the chair. To be fair, I re- I prefer Oracle. So do I, mm. but that wasn't the intent. Mm. Like he yeah. did not create Oracle. So I like I get yes. the mixed feelings. I will say that the return of Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill is always something to be celebrated because for all that there have been other Batman's since then, you know Jason O'Mara. I think Bruce Greenberg was at some point or other. And the Joker has been replaced time and time again, and it's just. It's not it. You know, Mm. it's not them. It is not the best versions of these characters.
0: I really. As much as I like the story, I really don't get the point of making it a movie. The plot is very thin.
1: Especially if it's meant to be in continuity with the rest no, of I, the No, I
0: don't think it matters so much if it's in continuity or not. The big question is, why? Uh, and how are you going to no. make it a 70-minute movie? Why makes
1: what? sense only in terms of if they're it, looking for the, got, the most... Yeah, I mean, they adapted... Uh, they the adapted Night, The Dark Knight Returns into uh, a two-part in two movie. Yeah. If you do that, you're going to end up doing the killing joke eventually. Yeah. I just don't see... I don't know. And still no adaptation of Dark Knight,
0: Dark City by Milligan and Doyle. Damn you!
1: Yeah, well, maybe that'll be next. So, Uh, let's move on to comics for a bit.
0: uh, Valiant have
1: announced that they are launching an event called Deathmate.
0: Well, they have have announced they are launching something called Deathmate.
1: Now, if that name rings the bell, first of all, I apologize for triggering your post-traumatic stress disorder. You are
0: also, you are very, very old.
1: Well, yes, because... Or you just had the misfortune of stumbling onto this, but... Uh, there was a similar event called Deathmate in, I think, either 92. 93 or 94. It started in 92, I think, but it dragged on and on forever. I mean, all you really need to know is that... It was a 90s crossover event. It was a crossover, crossover, yeah, was a crossover that between that Valiant
0: and Image. Valiant yeah. of the time and Image of the time. Were there... It ins- it's infamous for several reasons The first is that Instead of being numbered The issues were arranged According to color So you had Deathmate Black Deathmate Red Deathmate Purple Magenta item. Yeah yeah Deathmate Cyan <laughs> Deathmate Pink Salmon uh. Oh no But that's Okay that's just stupid But stupid is okay For the 90s at least Yeah The big bo- I wouldn't say it's okay I would say it's yeah, expected not, Yeah it's It's rote It's Thing that happened, but Valiant at the time was a very professionally run comic book company. You wouldn't
1: know by their output. No, but, okay.
0: but in terms of the output was on time. At least that—that's about yeah, it. Yeah, Image were the big breakout superstar, and therefore their side of producing the comics were doing whatever they wanted. And there are rumors of Bob Leyden, I believe, driving to Rob Liefeld's office and staying in his house. Until he finished drawing the pages, because the image side of the issues just never came out on time, <laughs> and he took them with him, and he had to ink them on the plane back. So this is kind of a corrective
1: experience for Valiant. And it, it, it,
0: it's one of the it said to be one of the things that destroyed Valiant as a company, financial fall and. When so let's he, do it again. Yeah, and when when he had the big 1996 crash of comics. One of the things that people mentioned is Deathmate. Not specifically it, but as another sign of the time. As you know, delays and superstars and people ordering comics that simply didn't exist. Because a lot of comic shops said, well, we're going to have financial windfall from this big giant crossovers between two new major companies, Mm -hmm. which didn't turn out.
1: Not so much, no.
0: Yeah, it it made the recent Marvel uh, crossover lateness seems benign, I'd say. (laughs) Yeah, that's true.
1: I've had... Mixed feelings about the Valiant line for a while now, but I'm not sure that piling on event after event is wise because they are just coming off a crossover, the the Book of Death or yeah. something like that. And there was another crossover before that uh, Armor Wars, well, and there yeah, was another one before. But here's that.
0: the thing: the events seem to be self-contained unto themselves. Without because.
1: Well, Army I wars affected Harbinger. No, no, but
0: see, I haven't read any of them and I could go into Faith number one and be like, oh, yeah, it's a fun first issue and yeah. still get what's happening. It's not mm, pick up issue number one. Oh, what's this world? What's going on? No, no, no. As long as you can understand everything that happens afterwards, it's
1: fine. I don't know if that's true. Like Faith is a character who has some history. The fact that you don't. Yeah. That, the fact that the story allows you to access her character is a benefit for the writer. Certainly. But you would have a lot more emotional resonance with the character if you actually knew, like, her history and all of that confusion about whether or not she's called Faith or Zephyr. The answer is in Harbinger. The, that's not the point, though. The point is, you know, when you are clustering events together one after the other. And I actually have to credit this to Chris Claremont, of all people, mm-hmm. who recently pointed out in an interview with uh, Jay Edited and Miles Stokes that the problem with the crossover frequency as it currently stands is that there's no room to really develop your characters because you're moving from event to event to event. And events, like by their very formula, require that the characters behave like plot actors rather than, you know, characters with any kind of interiority. And, you know, I'm listening to him say this and it popped into my head that to use an example, you remember uh, The Second Coming. Yes. The X-Men. Okay. That ended with Nightcrawler's death. To the best of my knowledge, no comic that was written like in the X-Men line until the next crossover and afterwards actually showed Mystique's reaction to the death of her son. She just wasn't there. Nobody talked about it. Nobody mentioned it. It just, as a reader, you don't really have the time to process these things before the next event. My big problem
0: with crossover is this. Superhero comics. As a rule, as a general rule, are already hyper dramatic. And the big, uh, superhero crossovers are the hyper drama of the hyper drama. They're the big summer blockbuster, which is fine in the, in the cinematic world, but imagine if you had the big, the big budget crossover of the big budget crossover. How hyper can you get? And since they're happening all the time, it just gets tiring. Yeah. Because see, Mad Max was great. But I wouldn't want to see Mad Max X, I don't know... Every week. X Fast and Furious every two months.
1: Yeah. It's not just exhausting in terms of...
0: The companies become addicted to the artificial high of of the sale. And they do sell
1: for the moment. like Right now, they have managed to convince readers that when these events happen, they're significant. But if you're going to do them twice a year, nobody's going to care eventually. Was Secret War significant? Wasn't
0: the whole end result is that now... I like have... that you're
1: assuming I've been following the Marvel No, because... Universe. It was significant in that it gave me the excuse to jump no, off. No,
0: but the whole of the end result was that now the ultimate sp- Miles Morales is in the Marvel Universe. Was there any other big... F- oh, 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 and... Uh, Some kind of timeline and we And Weird, Weird World is now part of the Marvel Universe instead of
1: the Savage Land? And there was, like, when the... Comics all restarted, they began from number one, that was eight months after yeah, the but was Secret it, war, but, but no. was
0: there anything there that couldn't be done by another of the comics arbitrary, oh it's five months later?
1: I mean look, the only context that I can give you for that, like as a flat answer, would be that I'm reading I'm still reading Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel starts after the time gap, but I could have gone straight from the end of the first Yeah, it's not like, like she's suddenly not inhuman or there's no you know, there's no reference. to oh, Or the Avengers are all
0: vegetables, or no, I don't know.
1: No, it's pretty much... I mean, but then what were you expecting? By the time Secret Wars was being put together, we had lived through three Sean, or four crises. I was expecting that nothing will ever be the same again, 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 again. again exactly. Again. And, you know, technically... I was not, misled. No, technically, <laughs> things are not the same. They're just very, 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 very similar. You know, it's like the difference that makes no difference is no difference, (laughs) is what it is. In this continuity,
0: Spider-Man prefers
1: other toppings on his pizza. He likes cheesecake instead of chocolate cake, (gasps) is what it is. That changes everything that I really liked about Spider-Man. I don't
0: want to read that character anymore.
1: But we're talking here about, like, the big two. I am a little concerned that Valiant seems to be adapting this... Mm technique i understand why they're not a top tier company they would obviously look for things that boost their sales but at the same time if you are going to start scheduling twice yearly events which pull in all of these books and the valiant line is not that big like it's the same five books in the same crossover over and over and over i have
0: this fever dream where we know definitely is going to be inter Valiant titles only. Yeah. I have this fever dream that it really is going to be an image crossover. With what? With everything. With Chew, with the Manhattan no, Project. No. We have said that with we, Saga. We,
1: we want an image crossover where like Saga meets Paper Girls meets uh, yes. Sex Criminals and they all have Image United, together. yes. That would be great. But I think that wiser heads will prevail in that case. Yeah. Valiant, I just... I understand it. I'm not happy about it. It's not something that's going to make me go like, you literally just finished this whole book of death thing. And then before that, there was something about bugs. I don't even know. The book of bugs. Probably. And, you know, enough is enough at some point.
0: Okay. uh, Speaking of fever dreams, this bit of news came to us straight from the 1980s. Which I'm, means it can only be IDW.
1: I'm starting to. Does IDW have like an actual working time machine? And they're just sending people willy nilly into so, the eighties. So according
0: to rumors, and this is yet unsubstantiated, IDW is developing a mass comic book. That is not the Jim Carrey movie based on the Doug Munch was it
1: comic book? I think so. Yeah.
0: No, this is the M dot A dot S dot K cartoon about mass commandos who are people driving in cars that turn into other vehicles which shoot lasers into bad guys now listen yes. Military Armored Strike Commandos with a K. Oh, God. Because That's how
1: Nazis spell it. You don't do that. But listen. (laughs)
0: That's a grim and gritty (laughs) reboot right (laughs) there. Masks are Nazis. I
1: have said this many times on this podcast. (laughs) I am a child of the American 80s. So when I tell you that I did not... This show ran for two seasons. And I have no earthly idea what it is. The only moment that sparked some kind of recollection was when you showed me the introduction on Mm -hmm. YouTube. Which starts with like the the grid Laser Grid Pyramid. Laser Grid Pyramid. I'm like, oh right, but nobody ever watched that
0: show. It kinda went
1: off the radar. It ran for seventy five episodes. Nobody knows what it was about. So that should tell you something about like I do think that IDW may be starting to scrape the Then again,
0: Sean, last year if somebody told you, you know what's great at Jam comic book? I would you laugh at their face? I would have laughed. You would have... Yeah. If, but if but some, then... You if, know. Somebody, if I told you, like, three years ago, you know what's going to be my favorite comic, science fiction comic running? A Transformers comic. Both of them.
1: That could have happened. <laughs> that, no, that I can see happening. No, no, because Transformers I, at least had brand recognition and like loyalty with their audiences for years. Like who knows mask to even write mask Uh,
0: mask right now is I think only known again to children of desperate children of the eighties or heavy GI Joe fans because the mask toy line was at a certain point rolled into the G.I. Joe toy line. And they were like the the G.I. Joe machine writers team or whatever.
1: I don't know. I I remember that Hasbro wanted to put together a cinematic universe. Because everybody does. Because you have to. That folded Mask into the G.I. Joe movies. And I think the second G.I. Joe movie sort of killed the hopes for that. Which, good riddance. Today. See, I assume the
0: gem movie was supposed to be the launch point of the Hasbro animated, and uh, not animated film universe. It should have been
1: animated. It yeah. might have at least given it something to do. That gem movie was.
0: Live action My Little Pony.
1: Friendship is Magic. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Mask. I don't know. Like I, are we I, gonna get? We're we gonna get like Bionic Six now. We're we gonna get Samurai. See, cats? But we
0: liked Power Rangers. We we, we have, did. We have no. And reason we to like play. Gem. Yes, and we like Gem, and I like Transformers and GI Joe. So really, if it's good, it's good. I think the last few years yeah. have proven to us That's that really the the original idea is nothing. The execution is everything.
1: I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a fair point. It is. I don't know if if we, but still, but you have to admit that it's weird. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. And yep. the fact that it, it's not not only in terms of what they are adapting, but in terms of what they aren't. I'm still waiting for the Thundercats comic, and not the one where Wiley oh. Kid and Wily Cat were washing Mumra in the oh, bath, it, it was... and he was implying that they were both that his was concubines. D- that was DC comic. That wasn't DC. I think that that was Wildstorm. Oh, these before were... before yeah, they became these DC. These were terrible. These were. The, I did not need to see Wiley Kit with a D cup, you mm-hmm. freaking bastards! But
0: <laughs> see, I'm I'm in shock that nobody ever contacted Jeff Nero and told him, "Hey, we want you to do a Dino Riders." It has aliens riding
1: dinosaurs with lasers on them. Uh, well, I mean, we've been listing all of this yes, stuff, like you know, uh, uh, Mighty Max in the early '90s. Uh, where's Carm? Where is Carmen Sandiego? Where is I where really is Carmen Sandiego exactly? Robotics GoBots. I mean, you already
0: have the, the damn Transformers. to sure. Do a crossover. Why not?
1: They're not going for the recognizable. Kate left bots Yes. Yeah. Like, let's see Kate left do Thundercats. I feel like she would take them to really interesting place. Oh, where's Silverhawks? Silverhawks haven't even shown up. Lost in space. Somewhere they're, like, they're in lost it, in space. You know, traveling the galaxy with like the guy in who space, plays the guitar and shoots lasers. I remember
0: it because even as a kid, that show physics were. All messed up. They yeah. had space with gravity <laughs> that people could breathe in. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, and then have... they
0: tried to be educational at like the last one minute segment. Yeah. You let's, were, let's
1: teach you what? about science, not from you. <laughs> no. I don't need Copper Kid or whatever his name was to tell me about like you know the forces of gravity because y'all clearly they don't did have Space
0: that. Cowboy before Firefly. Their pilot was literal space yeah he, he was
1: an actual like he was a bluegrass musician with an actual guitar that and a shot, cowboy like, had sound beams yes. in space there is no sound in vacuum but you know do it that way you will yeah. so it's always interesting to see like what are the specific properties that idW is targeting because they're not doing this by accident no if they're going for specific targets to adapt they clearly have some kind of battle plan I just can't figure it out. Like, I've been trying to piece together the strategy of how do you go from... You start with Transformers, and then you go to GEM. And then you go to... Are they... They're publishing G.I. Joe. Yes, yes, yes. So so G.I. Joe is in there, too. And then from there, you go to MASK. I don't see how the dots connect. You know what... They have been good. You know what I would really like
0: it to be? I would like it to be some really avant-garde experimentalist stuff where the comic is transforming, like the issue is f- opening into a poster like <laughs> or folding out in different directions because
1: you're, you're advocating the return of the trifold cover are you sure that's something that you want to no, no no
0: like bring really odd alternative cartoonists to work with the actual like thing like
1: Promethea the thing just unfolds into like, a like building stories <laughs> no like <really>, yeah, Chris first <laughs>
0: Chris wears mask. it'll come out an issue once a year but it will be a really impressively depressing issue
1: like in order to read it you have to shred the comic and assemble an actual mask that goes on your head and then yes. you can follow like the panels yeah. um I mean listen, brilliant I guess like the only real advantage that they have here is because they're picking such obscure properties they're not gonna bump up against the fan base that rallies against it or has bad things to say about it because you announce this and everyone is like mask who? Jim Carrey? Smoke-in? Is that where we're going? No, it's not. That's not the direction. But it gives them a certain amount of latitude. I just hope that they are as careful as they have been so far. Because this is easily something that they could screw up. Yep. One last bit of news. Mm-hmm. Not so much a news, more sort of a reaction. I have just finished the second season of Agent Carter. Okay. And I hated it. Oh. Now... I really enjoyed the first season, which came as a sort of mid-season filler for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It was an interesting season. Peggy Carter's character, you know, Hayley Atwell is perfect in the role. She's fantastic. All of that was great. The second season falls into what I call the Legend of Korra trap, which is that when you are writing a plot and you are using these characters and the plot requires that your characters act like complete and total idiots only because that is the only way the story will work, you have failed as a story writer. Mm. And it, it was amazing to me because I was halfway through the season and they put Peggy in the middle of this absurdly awkward and really forced love triangle. Oh. And it's like Every time this guy is on the screen, she sort of gravitates towards him, and they're almost about to kiss, and then someone interrupts them. I'm like, ma'am, this is not 1992. What the hell are you doing? And the, the plot made absolutely no sense. I think it was a tie-in to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., something about black goo from another dimension. I don't even know what all that was about. Oh, no, so it was a tie-in to The X-Files. I mean, you can find black goo anywhere these days. It's not that hard. Every time you turn around, there's black goo in your face. But it was just shockingly poor writing, and I was convinced that Jed Whedon and Mo Tancher Rosen had somehow taken over the the Agents Carter show, or maybe that it was a result of Fazekas and Butters working on Captain Marvel. I didn't know. Nothing seems to have changed, but mm. the decline in quality. Was painful. Like it got to the point where I was literally forcing myself to get through episodes. Huge disappointment. And I don't understand. It it sort of points out the thing that for critics is always very easy to point out. And I guess for creators they just don't see it. Which is just because you're ignorant of a trope doesn't mean you're not doing it. You know like you could be convinced. That you are writing Peggy Carter as a strong female character without the capital letters. I mean like an actual character who is also female and strong. But no. Like you, what you are actually doing is making her proto... Like you are making her the character that season one Peggy Carter made fun of. So incredibly disappointing. Uh, there have been rumors that she may be coming back for a third season. I don't know if that's true. Uh, Haley Atwell has been booked for another pilot, but you know, with pilot season, easy come, easy go. You never know what, how that's going to turn out. She's a great actress, but the script did not do her service. It didn't do anybody service on this show. The villain was Madame Mask from Hydra. Oh. oh. Except she wasn't from Hydra. She didn't wear a mask and her. And she wasn't a madam. She was a guy. She wasn't a mad. No, no, she was, I mean, she was a, uh, an, a Hollywood actress, and they they tried to set up this parallel of like this actress who knows how to manipulate public persona, and then like they just drop it halfway through. Complete mess. Sounds terrible. It was. I am hoping. I'm pretty sure that Daredevil premieres tomorrow, as of the time of this recording. Yes. Recording. Uh, so I'm expecting to have a corrective experience by then. I'll be like the next time you see me, I'll be like Electra at last. Okay. So.
0: Can we go on to comic reviews?
1: Let's. Uh,
0: what Baker do we to start with? Baker Street? Sure. We're the back Bakers- on Baker Street. Yeah. Well, I'm there on the first time. It's the Baker Street Peculiars number one out of four, written by Roger Langridge, with art by Andy Hirsch and Fred Stirling. Yeah, this is a
1: Kaboom book. Yeah.
0: So, it's an all-ages type story, which is fine. Yes
1: and no. We'll, we'll get to uh, that. Shall you tell them the plot? Sure. So, Rajani, Molly, and Humphrey are three children from different backgrounds in 1933 London. After one of the lion statues suddenly comes to life and starts running down the street, they each chase after him and sort of collide in terms of their paths. And they get to know each other. Uh, they're threatened by a policeman who wants to send them to an orphanage, so... They take off into an alley, and they bump into who appears to be Sherlock Holmes, who promptly analyzes them based on their appearance, draws out their whole story, and decides to hire them as his new irregulars. Now, this is explicitly framed after the death of John Watson. He, he says as much when he's standing in front of them. So, presumably, all the previous Baker Street irregulars are gone. He's setting up a new gang, and they're going to solve the mystery of... What was this? Because Sherlock Holmes doesn't believe in the
0: supernatural, so obviously the, the statue didn't really came to life.
1: Yeah, it was or, a distraction for something else. Or
0: did it? Well. The end of the, see, here's the thing, what I thought would be spoilers, mm-hmm. then I actually, uh, the end of the issue is uh, heavy spoilers, big, two big twists, but then I've read the recently, the previous that it were two months ago, and they revealed a big twist. So let's spoil it. Yeah, because... Jeff you know, Langer sure. doesn't care, neither do we. I don't know. Uh, because Sherlock Holmes in this version is... And again, I think it's a spoiler. The creator is probably spoil. not. Yeah. Okay. It's... uh
1: Martha Hudson. Yes, it's Mrs. Hudson. Miss yep. Hudson. Which I liked. I really liked that twist. It was very clever. Because when you think about it, she was his landlady. She would have known his methods. She would have known how to impersonate And
0: again, him. according to the previews... Which I don't understand why they just flesh it all out. There never was a Sherlock Holmes. That's not a like, Yeah, she, it's not like she's copying his methods. She, she wrote oh. the original stories and she took like the character of Sherlock Holmes. So there's no Watson either. She wow. took the name of John Watson to write the adventure of the detective and she was like the detective. And that's in
1: the previews, but it's not that's in this here. Issue. So it's wow. very weird. Yeah, that is weird. Although I think that. So it, maybe the previews are wrong? It might be a consequence, I think of the main issue that I had with this which okay. is that and with- also
0: as long as we're spoiling to talk about the content of the issue mm-hmm. the supernatural exists because the big villain reveal is like this obviously inhuman guy well there, and the lion as, as opposed to what Sherlock Holmes said is obviously a statue coming to life this is not just some lion painted with grace
1: I don't know the, the ending is ambiguous enough I think in terms of what you see in the last page for like it could go either way, really. Yeah.
0: Well, it's it's a very cartoony book, so you can get away with saying he's just a big ugly guy. But yeah. he
1: Which looks not uncommon for Victorian. Yeah, um... but
0: he is. He's a he's huge, and B he's a golem looking. Yeah, he could be clayface.
1: He could be absolutely. But the fact that well, we'll we'll see where they go with that. Mm. My issue here is, and I think that that might be part of the confusion. Language mm. is an excellent writer. Yes. Yeah, this much is true. And Hirsch and is
0: a very good cartoonist. When I yes. first read it, I thought, oh, Roger Langwich, is still a great artist. And then I'm like, oh, right, right, it's not him. No, Hirsch a,
1: does a great job Yeah, it, it looks... Well, let me let me backtrack for a second. Because mm-hmm. what's going on here is... We've talked in the past about Boom's great skill at making sure that all ages titles... Still have some kind of value for adults. Actually appeal to all ages. Yeah, like they appeal to adults... And they are smart enough to appeal to children on the same level without dumbing down. Yes. I do feel that the combination of the way that language writes this and the specific style of Hirsch's art may be aiming for a younger age bracket than myself. Mm. That was the sense that I got. Because, for example, one of the observations that Sherlock slash Mrs. Hudson makes is that Humphrey's valet is his dog. And the dog stands up on two legs and has like a mustache and a, and you know, like holding it freshly pressed clothes. It feels a bit more cartoony than the subject matter would suggest, right? Because, because they, they take the...
0: pains of setting it in the nineteen thirties London and they they tell you one of the kids is a Jew, one of them is an Indian, and they tell you basically they could never
1: rise to the high status of the white brat kid. The implication also seems to be that Rajani is transgender because she takes great offense to being called a girl. Well, yeah. yeah. that might be part of it too. And, really, like, in terms of the angle...
0: There's, like, this odd clash of content and presentation. And I
1: have to... Like, on the one hand, I have to credit language because... It's true that not a lot of stories have been told from the perspective of the irregulars. They were always background actors. There the were at canon. least
0: two st- stories that I'm aware of because there was a BBC children TV show. Yeah, as and there is, I think, still ongoing a series of like kids' short books, which
1: are about the original Baker Street Peculiars. Sure, but they're not the you you know not in the sense mm-hmm. of you haven't seen them as frequently as say yeah. reinventions of. Irene Adler. Or because Moriarty. at this
0: point, just about every original character within the Holmes canon has got its own story. Oh, I th- yeah. there, There's, I think, a Lestrade series of novels. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah.
1: You know, Lestrade shows up. Moriarty has been the hero. And of even the, the idea that Holmes guy.
0: is just a mask being put on by someone That's else. Been there done was too. there was this movie with uh, Michael Caine and yeah. Sir Ben Kingsley. Sir so sure. was Watson who hired. Sherlock Holmes is like an actor sure. pretending to be a detective.
1: You know, like the, the Doyle canon has been stretched and reformed. See, and, and what I like... Bigger, and that's great. But here, I don't think that I'm getting what I would normally be getting from a all-ages boom book. Mm. This well, seems like specifically in for a younger yeah, crowd.
0: It's true, but I really liked it for several reasons. One, because of the way it plays with the canon in an unexpected way. It takes place... Long after Sherlock Holmes was supposed to take place. So we don't know what changes could have happened. Right. And again, this is the big shock that, oh, it's, it's Mrs. Hudson? Really? That's a great twist. And the the question is, how much of the supernatural is true or not? And the fact that these kids are not the first version. So it's not like forcing its way into the canon. Yeah. It says, well, these are the stories that have been and this is something different.
1: And there have been some great stories about, you know, talking about the post-Doyle mm. canon as it's actually had, like in real time. Uh, there's the film with Ian McKellen. Yeah, Mr. Holmes. Mr. Holmes which I thought was great. Michael
0: Shabin's Final Solution. Sure.
1: So you have like all of these stories about what happens after and the, the notion that Mrs. Hudson, this is why I'm so surprised to hear that the, this It was revealed in is, the
0: solicitations,
1: yes. Well, who was following it though? So, yeah, the idea that it was always Mrs. Hudson, I'm less fond of. Well, we'll see. We don't know. And, you I know, know I'm, I'm well, not- I won't see because yeah. this is one of those books that is competently written, competently drawn. You know, the art is absolutely something that you would see in a newspaper strip. It's mm-hmm. really good in terms of the tone that it's trying to set. It's just not for me.
0: Unlike many other booms here that we've talked about, there is enough in the first issue to stand on its own. Yeah. This is not simply a, oh, and here's the setup for the next uh, chapter two, three, four. No. Stuff happens. We meet the characters. We're introduced to the plot.
1: And language uses that same, the use of Holmes' deduction as an expository tool to explain who the kids are. It's Sherlock Holmes. That's what he does, right? So that's
0: fair. I liked it, I think, a lot more than you. But yes, it does aim a bit lower age bracket than what we're used to from Kaboom. Are you going to stick around for the whole thing? I think so, or at least I'm going to wait for the trade and then just read the whole thing. But yeah,
1: I'm going to I'm going to give it a shot. It's it's great fun. I keep my ears open and see where it's going before I make any commitments. Mm-hmm. But it was just sort of you know, it's not badly executed, but I do feel that it runs contrary to. Boom's usual approach with these things. Shall we do another boom? Let's break it up a little bit okay, and, and go for Marvel. Okay, we're so doing So the next book we're going to review is Mockingbird number no. one. This is by Chelsea Kane and Kate Ninzig. And if you're feeling a bit of a flashback, it's because we did review the Mockingbird one shot a while back. Also,
0: we did a Marvel number one featuring, uh, Kick-ass spy lady just last
1: episode. Sure, although that makes for an interesting contrast. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Usually Marvel putting out two titles like Mockingbird and Black Widow week after week, it was literally week it's after pretty week. Rare. Yeah, because those two titles seem to be at least in theory very much of a the same thing, but no, they take a completely different approach. If Well, to
1: some extent. Because
0: we'll Black Widow was basically a huge unfolding action scene with nothing in it, and this issue is mostly talking. Yeah. So, uh, shall I tell them what sure. it's about?
1: Tell them what it's about.
0: Uh, Bobby Morse, aka Mockingbird, has apparently been dosed either in the past series or somewhere between crossovers. God, no.
1: this seems like it could have happened in Original Sin. I, yeah, I do not Fury.
0: Yeah, she's been dosed with a combination of the Super Soldier Serum, the Captain America Serum, and the Infinity Formula, which is what Nick Fury used to lengthen his life unnaturally mm. since World War
1: II. Did not know that.
0: Okay. Oh. And now S.H.I.E.L.D. is very interesting in what could be the side effects of that and they basically call her to a series of uh, meetings and checkups which, which she does not enjoy and her level of paranoia and anger and maybe manifestation of superpower keep rising and rising up until something happens. Now, usually I'm not a big fan of a series that tells you right from the get-go, "Oh, you're not going to get this. <laughs> this is the <laughs> end ed- letter." The end of the issue is a one-page letter by Chelsea Kane, who's a mystery writer. She I think she's new to comic, but at least the first time I hear about her in comics, she writes mystery novels, hmm. telling her, "Well, we know that it's not clear what's happening here, and it won't be clear up until the end of the fifth issue of the miniseries." Usually for me that's a big turn off what why i mean 3.99 yeah That's... because you're asking me to pay for this separately if it was a graphic novel i could i could get beyond you know not understanding what's going on in the end of the first chapter but you're selling me to that to me as a serial but there is enough of a comedy and there's enough character here to keep me hooked i think because i'm not familiar with mockingbird you know i didn't read what was it uh, west coast avengers where she was made famous Ooh.
1: Yeah, that yeah. was a long time ago. Yeah,
0: and I haven't been reading the Brian Bendis Avengers where she was brought back after 20 years because Brian Bendis brings back dead characters for some reason or another. And then does
1: nothing with them.
0: Yeah, And the one shot we read was okay, but never blew my mind. But this is very interesting because the idea seems to be that nobody knows what's going on. And instead of being played as like a very serious dark mystery, it's played as like an odd Philip K. Dick-esque comedy She keeps being recalled from missions and every single scene she's set up with different clothes and circumstances and what happened. Well, we don't know, but it's funny and the clinic keeps on hosting different superheroes with different problems in the background. Mm -hmm. So there's a big sense of personality here and there's a lot to like in that.
1: I had very mixed feelings about this. Okay, Um, I agree with you that... It's a bit problematic to, like, the fact that you are aware that your issue makes no sense and then appeal to readers, like, give us a shot anyway and stick with us and eventually it will make sense. That is an acceptable tactic when, as you say, if it's a graphic novel and you buy the whole thing and the first chapter doesn't make sense but there's something there to keep you going, fine. It becomes a little more hard to swallow when every chapter of this mystery that supposedly won't give you any sense of what the hell is going on until the last one, by which point you will have spent at least $20, Mm -hmm. if my math is correct. Yes. So that's a bit uncomfortable. The the structural issue that bothered me here wasn't that nothing is clear, but just the excessive amount of repetition. Because really, the way that Cain depicts Bobby being stuck in this loop, right? Mm -hmm. She's going to the clinic. She's getting these tests done. She comes back. She comes in. Every time she shows up at the clinic, her first caption is, I can explain whatever weird thing. I can explain my outfit. I can explain the dog that's there. I can explain everything. And then she goes with her therapist. She asks, where's my last therapist? In Tahiti. And uh, do you see white zombies? No, but then she does. And then ping pong balls disappear. And then she brings them back they all seem disconnected. Like, I don't get any sense of a strong through line that links all of these things together because they don't know what her powers are. She doesn't know what her powers are. She doesn't even
0: know if she has powers. she has powers. She's hallucinating. They're using her. They're misusing her.
1: And also, I mean, you brought up the comparison to Black Widow. It Mm -hmm. doesn't help that this is the second book in a row where S.H.I.E.L.D. is being presented as something shadowy and ostensibly negative well oh, that's what that's
0: shield for like it's 30 old. years
1: it, exactly it has like shield has been serving as the shadowy government that is you know, they're, that's what they're shadowy government organizations do But they yes. are shadowy yes but the problem with SHIELD is that every time you show them to be shadowy and corrupt there's always going to be some explosive event in which the heroes purge SHIELD they get rid of Dr. Faustus or whatever the hell has been corrupting them and now there's going to be a new SHIELD and not a month passes before nope they're doing secret experiments and there's like darkness and then like the lone heroes and they're always the same heroes Right, it's always the Black Widow who ends up taking a moral stand. It's always Mockingbird. It's always Hawkeye. It's always Captain America. Like it is the same characters rebelling against every single incarnation of Shield over and over and over. Well, again. but
0: repetition is in the heart of superhero stories. How many times can they save sure, the world every single mean, day?
1: But that doesn't mean it has to be rewarded. Like, why do we need to keep coming this, back to this? But this
0: is a very different take on that. Because is it yes? Because unlike Black Widow, where we know. What happens, you know, there's a big chase and somebody's chasing her for bad reasons. Here we don't know. And I think there is a very nice through line here, which is her rising paranoia level, which is directed intentionally with a paranoia
1: meter, which is fun. Yeah, but it doesn't help that the only time we see her expressing that is when she's at the clinic. There's no... You have like these cutaway scenes that reference... Things that have supposedly happened mm-hmm. to her, but whenever she's trying to figure out what her deal is, you don't see that. Like you see a shot of her in bed, and then she goes to the clinic. You see an argument that she has and then she goes to the clinic. So I really like that structure. I don't know. It, for there me, was it's something about it bothered me. Really, for me, it's a great structure because it allows
0: you to set up the character rising, 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 and then break at the end of the issue. You need a repetition to set up what's wrong, and the Philip K. Dick sense of wrongness of. What is going on with me? I cannot explain it. I don't know if it's wrong with me or if it's with the outside world or with both of us. And for me, that's a very... A, it's entertaining. Because this issue is... For a series of talking shots, it's very funny. It's right. very endearing. Yeah,
1: she has some exchanges with her psychologist that and, are very amusing. And that's true. the artist...
0: Uh, what's her name? Nemechek? Uh Kate Nimzik. I hope Nim- I'm pronouncing Nims- that Nims- I think it's Nemechek. Or it could be Nemechek. Anyway, the artist... Usually, with an all-talking issue, it would be boring as hell. You remember again, we've talked about the Brian Bendis Avengers issue where they sit around and talk. But here, no, she has the chance to change moods and play with the background characters and with stuff that happens and with just the tiny flashbacks of her, you know, shouting at Iron Man. It's great. This is how you do the visualization of an all-talking yes. issue. Yes. And this is how you set up a mystery because it's not only the mystery. I like the character presented here. I like the idea of. The agent that's really on the edge and can't explain why, and she's so used to she being can explain why though. No the reason
1: that she's on the edge is because Shield keeps dragging her in for these tests. Yeah, but and they are test they her over and? But over are they, and over they justified?
0: Again. Are the tests justified? Is Shield justified? In Black Widow, like you said, there is this thing where. I'm 99% sure from the beginning that she's in the right. Of course she is. Yeah, but here I have enough of a doubt because you are playing it so obtusely. But Marvel, again, like this is the limitation that comes more... But she's not a Marvel writer. This is Chelsea Kane, a mystery writer. We don't... But, we literally but don't but know what she's...
1: But is a Marvel character and if Marvel See, has plans for her, But again, was, like, this is knowledge that comes from outside of the story. Wasn't it...
0: Wouldn't it have been so easy for Marvel to just tell her, do a strong, kick-ass female character kicking stuff? Like the cover. Like who? Mm -hmm. Like who? Like Black Widow. Black Widow's been taken. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been so easy for Marvel to tell her, that's what we want. We want to do the character like she's in the TV show, kicking butt and taking names and being just generic action hero?
1: I don't know what she's like on the TV
0: show. No, but... I guess. You can assume it's not like that.
1: Probably not
0: unless i don't know agents of shield went to i don't know AFC or uh,
1: <laughs> you are asking the wrong
0: move to was... h been moved to hbo i know i i assume that. not
1: I'm, gonna stick with that. I, I'm going to stick with that i am going to stick see it's it's a problem because again like the fact that kane just comes out and says you need to wait until issue 5 before any of this will make sense at all yeah but i, I... understand the logic there but the problem here is that first of all because we know that it's a marvel series you're always going to bump up against the idea of she's not going to kill her. She's not going to turn out to be insane. Shield is probably going to turn out to be sketchy and Mockingbird will have been right all along. It's the same lack of tension just because these are established characters. Setting that aside, the issue of price is one that you have to point out. If I went and picked up, you know, the trade paperback of Mockingbird, five issues, $20, and I can read the whole thing, fine. I don't necessarily know that that price is as justified when you're buying it in singles. Because I don't know what she's going to do. Like, this story could go really, really right or really, really wrong, depending on what the... Like, because you're structuring it as a mystery... The explanation, whatever it is that she's going to explain, has to satisfy on that level. Well, if you get to the end and it turns out that it was actually the ping pong ball all along that was teleporting, and Mockingbird had nothing to do with it, you're going to be like, "Well, okay." What again, how did I just again? To but do for, for it? me,
0: it's not just a mystery. For me, it's a very fun character piece at the same time.
1: Okay, I feel like I would need to see more of Bobby herself before I can connect with her that way mm, i feel i, I felt the connection
0: okay. after this
1: issue so That's fair i'm gonna stick with
0: mockingbird number one i and number two and number three and number five
1: i'll wait until the end of the first arc and see i the... think it's a mini i think it's just five issues and done it wasn't solicited that way oh. but if it is i mean i wouldn't be surprised if it it's is. marvel I, you know it's marvel it's the five issue ongoing <laughs> we'll see You know, if it is a closed story, then I guess that might be the advantage where Kane is like, okay, I know how this ends, and we're not going to get stuck. So, okay.
0: Back to boom? Back to boom. Not kaboom, just boom this time, right? Actual boom. Yes. A real boom, as it were. (laughs) Here comes the boom. Turncoat number one, written by Alex Becknadel with art by Aritom Charkanav,
1: with colorist Jason Wardy. Uh, Sean, tell them, what's it about? Well, in case you haven't realized, it is another four-issue mini. I'm detecting a yes. theme here. We seem to be doing... This is the four-issue mini episode. See, I
0: wanted us to do Adventure Time 50 just for it to be the all, <laughs> the all Boom podcast. But you don't watch Adventure Time. No, but I, I read the comic once in a while and it was a big celebratory issue, which was very weird.
1: That's Adventure Time for you. Yes. But we will be discussing Turncoat. So this is the first of a four-issue miniseries from Boom. Marta Gonzalez was an officer for management, capital M. These were the alien overlords of Earth who were ruling the planet for 300 years. She ends up betraying them to William Mann, the leader of the Anthropartisans. This is a rebellion movement trying to get rid of the aliens. They use her intel to kill one of the management princes and management leaves the planet. Jump ahead five years later into One of the most interesting worlds that I have seen in quite a while. Marta is now a private investigator. The society that has evolved with the departure of these alien overlords, whoever they were, is like, look at how Pacnadel puts a relatively simple twist on the formula and how it works. You have this notion that these aliens were ruling the planet for 300 years. They did not seem to be that bad. According to their supporters. Because the planet now is split between the people who loved the aliens and supported them and some of them... The
0: people who were in position of power under management, mostly.
1: Some yes and some no. Because a lot of the... uh, Like, for example, they encounter a priestess who believes in the aliens gods. Yes. And has modified herself. So she's a nun. She doesn't have any kind of power. But it does raise interesting questions about who are the people who wish that the overlords would return, and who fought in the rebellion against them. And what happens when, I mean, these are still, at the end of the day, human beings. So when they try to integrate, there's a scene in which Marta encounters the unified police force, so to speak, which is anything but, right? It's a tavern in which one side is singing the praises of the rebellion, and one side is actively, like, simmering in their beer with their frustrations rising. It's post-Civil War America. Yeah, pretty much. And... It's just off to a really great start. First of all, the way that pac structures it is, on the one hand, traditional mystery, right? A Mm -hmm. woman walks into her office, asks her to solve a missing persons case. She, being a private investigator, has this feeling that something might be off. But unfortunately, she is also known the world around as the turncoat, right? She is the person who betrayed management and drove them off the planet. So some people see her as a hero. Other people... Will just beat her in the street for no reason. She's
0: a world famous, which is a bit of a problem if you want to be a low cost, low known private
1: eye. Exactly. And she, you know, the contacts that she has were police because that's who she was. So it turns into a situation where the people who want to support her are catching hell for it. I want to draw attention to Trakanov's art though. Okay. Because the way that he designs the city is amazing. I think it's New York. I can't quite tell though because this is a city that has been under alien control for 300 years. So you have these organic structures that are overlaid onto the buildings, right? And it is a sense that something that the priestess points out when when she appears is, you know, the aliens may have left, but they left their mark on this world regardless of what the rebels claim to have succeeded in doing. So, by driving off the so-called conquerors, and we really don't have any evidence of what the regime was like. All we know is that Marta willingly betrayed them.
0: The art design reminds me a bit, maybe it's mostly the cover, but even within the issue of uh, The Spire by Spurgeon Stokely,
1: you've read that? I haven't read it, I'm waiting for it to be finished, Mm. but it definitely has that sort of otherworldly... Yeah. Architecture. Yeah,
0: it's otherworldly architecture built over very human ideas. Which is yeah. interesting. I'm not as big on this as you, mostly because for me, jumping from the very interesting pre war to post war world and then just making her into a private eye felt to me a bit like oh, it's a it's just a detective story. And it'll have ramifications, obviously, and we'll learn about the world, obviously, but just fo- turning it into a P.I. story is for me very much of a meh. Because it sort of feels like everything is narrowed down and they want to have their cake and eat it. Because, oh, she can do the low-case mystery, but she's world famous apparently. Which doesn't really work for me. How can she be a private eye like this?
1: Well, we don't know if she's been successful as a private well, eye she she the, the she's been doing walks, it for years. She's been doing it for years, but I sort of like what... I don't know if Pac-Nadel does this on purpose or not. What ends up happening is that because we have this time jump, we don't actually know. First of all, you know, she's been a private investigator for a certain amount of years. We don't know if she's been any good at it. All of her contacts are people that she would have known during the occupation anyway. Like her former police partner or a guy that she used to arrest, an informant, you know, the, the mayor who was also the resistance leader... So she doesn't really have any sense of having managed to build up some kind of support network in the interim.
0: I really like the art. I really like the world building. And as is
1: typically the case, Mm -hmm. the mystery that she has been hired to solve seems to have much larger implications than what initially it appears to be. And to her credit, like this is something that she figures out immediately. From the moment that she's hired, she knows that there's something... Bigger at stake here.
0: It's a very good issue overall. And again, like the Baker Street Peculiars, it's not a, oh, just wait for the next few issues. uh, All will be turned out. There is enough meat here. Mm -hmm. But again, there are some things that just bug me. Like for some reason, they decide to like put white circles and stuff that's meant to be important within the panel, which... I know what's important. I can see where somebody is injecting someone with some alien weirdness. I don't need you to market it for me like I'm a slow reader or something. Right. And like I said, the characters are a bit... She's a tough lady cop. And that's it. I, I don't feel any more Admittedly, depth to her. Admittedly, like,
1: the reason that I like her is more because of what Pat Nadel does. The Spire
0: also... I'm, I'm waiting for the Spire to be collected. But the first issue was, again, great world building, great art. But then the hero was like, she's a tough lady cop. Okay. And they felt a bit generic,
1: tough lady cops. Well, the thing that I like here is that mm. they don't explain why she t- switched sides. She's accused of being a carpetbagger, right? Somebody who... She waited
0: for the last minute. She waited
1: for the last minute and then turned. Mm. But it's clear that there was something else going on. And
0: I kind of prefer to be to turn out that she was just an opportunist. Because that's an interesting character to me. Well, Not somebody who was like, oh, I discovered the goose. No, no, somebody, somebody, somebody discuss- who yeah. saw the tide turning and said, damn it, gotta take it. See,
1: that I don't think... I don't think that would be dramatically satisfying, only because it's the assumption that everyone makes anyway. It would, but it would be interesting if it turned out that she betrayed them for a different reason, other than she suddenly discovered. No, morality. I don't. I don't see. Here's the thing: think that's as where
0: it's as, off. as a as someone who's interesting in the character, I don't care what other people think about her for good or ill. I care about within her world how can she justify what she has done. Right. If she just turned, thinking in her head that management was the good side, and she turned against them simply because she saw no other choice, she said. They're gonna lose anyway. Might as well just switch side before anybody else catches on. That's a very interesting inner conflict to me. For yeah, her but, to have but an but outside it be more reason, more
1: interesting to see that as it was actually happening. no,
0: but yeah, but for her to have an outside reason to have a justification, slim or odd as it may be, would be for me just taking something very interestingly gray and making it black and white. Now we don't know, yeah. and the fact that we're talking about it for me means it's very interesting because yeah. we we can't know.
1: I do want, like, I am very curious to see her perspective here, and it's a good move that he doesn't just spill all the... Now, uh,
0: considering Boom's tendency of taking successful series, if they're critically and financially selling and lengthening them, could you see this as an ongoing world? Because they did that it with depends. Lumberjanes, they did it with We're Back, yeah. Welcome Back? Welcome Back. And with uh, Giant Days.
1: Well, I'll tell you what the thing is. I could see this as becoming an ongoing, on the condition that the mystery that she is looking into now actually does have some kind of larger significance if it really is just a run-of-the-mill average missing persons case Mm. then in order for there to be another arc you would need another mystery and it's sort of the problem of the veronica mars format which is that show went off the hills when there was no longer a season long mystery it was always like episodic mysteries and it got to the point where okay you're solving all of these mysteries one after the other but you don't really have any reason to keep doing what it is that you do like there's nothing pushing you forward you solve a mystery within an issue it's more like elementary I think where every episode there's a mystery and at the end of the episode the mystery is solved So you don't have any investigation that goes beyond the sort of... Yeah, but, well,
0: Elementary is just a detective series. It doesn't need to have world-changing ramifications because the world-building is
1: non-existent. I could see it going on. It would need a plot line that can reasonably extend beyond... it? For me, I don't think...
0: I don't think I need a plot line because, like I said, the world
1: is interesting enough.
0: I could see, like, a story set about the priests or about the days of the resistance or...
1: Uh... The world is interesting, but it is interesting primarily because of the reactions that people have. Like, you're talking about switching protagonists. Mm. I don't know if I'd go that far. Because the fact that she is a person of interest in the story that has unfolded, like in the background, is important. If she was just a run-of-the-mill private detective, like if she was not the traitor, capital T, capital T, then... I don't know that she'd be as engaging. Okay. But I am sticking around for her, for her issues.
0: Okay, so we'll see. Okay. Uh, shall we end with our patented trade review? Let's patented go. because we're the only one allowed to review we're trades and art and story arcs.
1: The main course, as it were. This is another four-part miniseries. <laughs> it, it, this is the four-part miniseries. No, no, no.
0: Mockingbird is a five-issue. Damn. Is a fiver.
1: Damn, we should have been more careful with our coordination.
0: Well, it's maybe Marvel. A look maybe the they'll, they'll look at it. It's like the Great Ten that was cancel, canceled issue in issue nine. nine yeah. Yep.
1: So, okay. We'll be discussing Blackjack Ketchum. This is a four-part miniseries from Image by Brian Shermer and Claudia Balboni.
0: It is a Western. A 1st
1: Four podcast? Ooh, I, I think so. Yes. That's why you chose it, by the way, Sean. I recommended this, and I am so sorry <laughs> okay. for wasting your time and mine. <sighs> Okay,
0: hey, anyway. so uh, the plot is we have this mysterious cowboy called Tom Ketchum yeah. who's being chased across a very surrealistic, heavily symbolic Western landscape by a trio of odd figures, the rancher, the banker, and the oil burn who send their henchmen after him. And also there's this outside force known as the Judge, not dread. We don't know. It's very symbolic.
1: We we know that it's not Dredd. Dredd is not a blonde woman last time I checked, although that would certainly make it more interesting.
0: And anyway, the reason he's chased is because everybody's convinced that Tom Ketchum is actually Black Jack Ketchum, notorious outlaw and killer. And so he must catch Black Jack to prove that he is not him, which is a bit of a problem because maybe he is him. We don't know. It's very weird and symbolic. Have I mentioned how symbolic this is? Have I mentioned that, Sean? It's a very symbolic series. <laughs> the symbols I, think, be... I think
1: less symbolic, the word you're looking for is abstract in the extreme. <laughs> See, I've
0: recently watched some weird Westerns as part of an uh, article series for my Hebrew blog. Mm. And I've watched uh, Jodorowsky's El Topo, which mm. was considered for years the R-Odd Western. Well, this one really wants to overdo it. He wants to outdo Jodorowsky, which is hard. And he succeeds. It is, certainly is utter and incomprehensible than Jodorowsky. Yes. But it's not very fun no, or interesting. And, okay, We've talked about this type of story before. And usually I'm all for the odd stuff just keep on happening. And yeah. we never get a clear answer for the mystery, which is not properly set up. Because for me, these type of stories could be very good if the imagery is interesting enough. And if the oddness is interesting, it's presented in a, in a mystifying way, and it's not just yet plotting. But this thing is just very straightforward in its oddness, because it's a weird is western. It? Yes, in its oddness, because the oddness is just the same thing. It's always like a montage of just stuff bumping and changing, and the rhythm is never ending. There is no slowing or going faster, there is never any stopping, he's just moving from one place to another, were the scenes jumping with the art for no reason? Yeah. There is no momentum here. It's just there's no momentum. There's no sense. There's no
1: objective. There is no, no cohesion, character. There's no character. That, well, let's talk about the character. I would like to because
0: quote. apparently chump Tom Ketchum slash Blackjack is a real character. Is a real historical figure, which I did not know. That
1: makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'd like to read an excerpt from the last issue. Yes, as I did with the first issue of Nameless. This is in response to the question, who the hell are you people? And yeah. I quote, Sometimes there's a story of Charlemagne, or Queen Victoria, or maybe even King Arthur. Other times it's simply a king or a queen, and who they were specifically doesn't enter into the telling. They have no past, no dimension, no true character, just their role. They are shortcuts and shorthand, used by storytellers of all ages. Your name is Tom Ketchum. Black Jack Ketchum is also a name. It is not a role. You can be Tom Blackjack Ketchum with all the rights and privileges here to... Is this a contract? I don't know. Or you can be no one and all that you are or were will go into the amalgam that makes up what folks think of when they think of an outlaw. What in the freaking hell are you talking about, Brian Shermer? What is this word vomit that you have thrown onto the page and forcing us to read? Why does this not follow any kind of logical sense? This is not even dream logic. This is nightmare acid logic. This is the logic that you get when you have eaten a quesadilla at 3 o'clock in the morning and it was a bad quesadilla and the next thing you know you're dreaming of like falling off a cliff and while you are running a marathon and someone stops by and says you are an archetype surprise hmm. I just don't have you are absolutely right that we tend to have very very different perspectives when it comes to this kind of story when it comes to the kind of story that sacrifices any kind of coherence any kind of basic plot structure narrative, any lo- attempt, nar-
0: narrative logic uh, any with, kind of logic. For, towards atmosphere
1: not even atmosphere, though, because you can't even say that there is an atmosphere no, because I'm you saying, don't understand what's I'm, happening. No,
0: no, I'm saying usually. And it's okay. You don't have to always get what's happening. I do. I don't. But here, I just don't care about the stuff that's not happening because it's flat.
1: Spoiler, it's, you're an archetype. Gee, thanks. What am I supposed to do with that? Yeah,
0: it feels like he had this idea for a critical essay about the idea of a Western as a representation because there are bits with Ambrose Pierce, a very famous writer and the referring to Who
1: disappears at the end of the
0: issue. Who disappeared in real life.
1: Well, yeah, but like that doesn't help this is not a story and they reference the uh, what was it not Hanging Rock um, no the story of his about the 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 man who thinks he escapes the hanging but didn't actually was it Picnic hanging. At hanging Rock but and does it, was, it matter I mean yeah it, so they reference to the character this, who presumes and to there's be, this part where we have like a
0: cutback and we see that this all may have been a movie
1: an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge yes
0: yes sorry so we see that it all may have been a movie which again refers to Jodorowsky because he did that trick at the end of not El Topo the Magic Mountain but right why? When John did this, he froze some very interesting visuals at you. Mm-hmm. And the symbolism wasn't just heavy-handed. It was also very funny and creative. And you didn't need to figure out what it was because there was the mystery. It was, look at all this weird stuff. Look at all this interesting stuff. Figure out something for yourself. This he reads like he's trying to make some sort of a giant statement, which make it as an essay. It's not a story. And it's not no. even an interesting presentation.
1: The characters are paper thin.
0: See, I've recently reread Electra Assassin by um uh, Miller and it. Okay. Miller and Cabbage, which I thought was a masterpiece first time, I thought it was an even greater masterpiece this time. Okay. And that is also a very odd series of occurrences not always following a narrative sense. Sure. But there we get like the character, we get Garrett. Who's like exactly. the the logical man who sort of realizes what's happening to him? I mean, my touch he's point, the focal point.
1: My touch point there would be: look at if you were to reread *Electro Lives Again*. Oh yeah, it would still hold up. Now the thing about like this is how symbolism can be used, and it's funny that I'm saying this about Frank Miller, right? But this was Frank Miller in his prime. Yes, he's telling a story in which you don't know what's happening or not happening. The whole thing is like infected with dream logic because Matt hasn't been sleeping. A lecturer's ghost may or may not be coming back. There's all this ninja mysticism that's going on in the background. So at no point during the story do you have any sense of you know characters appearing and disappearing. And is it a dream? Is it real? He can't even you know for a character who trusts his senses in order to be a superhero, he can't do that. And we don't know if what he's seeing is real. But in Miller's case, what makes it work there is that. You have no idea what is happening on a level of plot. But you do understand what the character is going through emotionally. Murdoch. You have Matt Murdoch's inner dialogue. And you have the way that he talks to people. And the way that he relates to other people. And the way that he thinks about himself. And these are the things that carry you through when there's all of this murky ambiguity... And you don't know what the deal is and you don't know if this there is this huge climactic battle with ninjas and resurrections and Elektra comes flying out of the sky dressed like a nun with a bow and arrow. You don't know if any of that is happening. The whole thing could just be in his head. And, you know, he imagines her at the end standing on some kind of... But it's a very interesting statement about dealing with grief. It is.
0: About the way we can't let go of the past.
1: He says it. He Miller, at the time, was a fantastic wordsmith. And he has this line, she wasn't haunting me, I was haunting her. Like, I was going out trying to find her. Yeah, he couldn't let her go. And I knew that she was dead. Or maybe she wasn't. Like, I don't... Like, he cannot even figure it out. The difference between something like that and something like Blackjack, Ketchum, or Nameless, is that Brian Shermer and Grant Morrison cannot tap that kind of emotional depth with their characters. It does not matter to me that this Tom Ketchum person is running around from one saloon Mm. to another and teleporting all over the world and meeting the judge and the baron and the this and the that and and being locked up and escaping and he wants to find out who's stealing his name. Who gives a crap? If everybody's an archetype, who cares?
0: exactly and the odd thing they chose claudia bonnie who i don't know she's a good artist for a straightforward western story this could have been a very if she just drawn a very straightforward action-adventure story in the west it would have been fine even if she was trying to draw something dour like say the unforgiven
1: yeah but take... part of the problem here is that the whole premise of the story is that there are two people running around with the same face right yes. supposedly like you have tom and you have blackjack The problem is that her art is not very good at distinguishing faces in general. So sometimes when he bumps into another character, he's like, is that another Jack? Or not? No, no. You don't know because she can't. Really and there's this
0: part in the first issue where the gun is talking. And was the speech while it was supposed to go to the gun, or was it a mistake?
1: I thought it was a girl for a minute, and then it turned out uh, maybe. It no, was, it was, the, was, the, was gun, the gun, but then, then the, the gun never speaks again. Yeah, yeah. it's like I don't. The remember.
0: gun never speaks again is a line you're not supposed to say
1: only on the smorgasbord. No, because if the gun speaks like and ballistic, let the gun speak. Sure, but then the gun speaks, and then it chooses to be silent. Like I've said my piece. It is the piece that it it is it is the piece. You know? I just no, no but this like is. I said,
0: her art is actually pretty good, and I really yeah. and, and I like it. But it's it's not atmospheric. It's not interesting. It's it doesn't not, save the story. If you want to do a hyper symbolic stuff, you need a Sinkevich. You need a nineteen eighties Miller. You oh,
1: need God. If this had been Bill Sinkevich art, yes. The...
0: Uh, there was this. Uh, the story image... would still be crap. But you there was either... this image series we reviewed uh, the first issue of a while back about the girl with the bionic arm. Copperhead? What? No, no. Uh, the... Empty zone. Empty zone. Right. right. Remember... Who was the artist there? Oof. The, the, I don't the artist was the writer. That was the right kind of art for this type of story. Which was very yeah. sienkiewicz esque
1: Yeah, this is just like it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have made it. It better. wouldn't
0: have made the story better. It would be a better fit for this kind of presentation you're trying to make.
1: Claudia Bopony draws very clearly.
0: Have you, know. you watched that movie, The Revenant?
1: No. Is that the one where um, Leonardo DiCaprio being moved by, by a bear and then crawls in anger? No. Now, no. what
0: makes this movie work, despite its plot being weak and the characters being the non-existent? No, it's it's the photography. It's the bear ma- always wins. <laughs> It's Emmanuel Lobetsky, the greatest cinematographer of his generation and maybe of ever. Okay. It's his work there. He basically sells this non-existing story simply via sheer visual masterpiece. It shows you that this kind of thing can work if you just marry it to the right kind of art. You know, uh, yeah. Lubetsky being in this in this comparison, the artist of the story.
1: I mean, ideally you'd have a better script, but yes, at least the art could have done something. You know,
0: something. a flat script could work with a great enough presentation. We've talked about Black Widow last time and sure. I thought it worked even though the story was just, you know, one idea. She's running and people chasing her. Yeah. And this could have worked as, you know, he's chasing someone he doesn't know what if the art was married properly to the story. Mm-hmm. But if you have no story and the art is just flat and the pacing is flat and the characters are non-existent, Why? Why should I care? I'm kind of interesting in the myth making of the West, you know, and, and so I this. Am too, and I'm interesting in that style. This way. Technically, this should have been for me. I should have ended up reading it and saying, oh, these are my new superstars, but I'm ending up just. Uh,
1: because it's not. Yeah. The, the problem that they bump into here is that in order to hold your interest for four issues, they build on the idea that trying to reconstruct the plot of this miniseries. Just, it gave me a nosebleed, okay, because... I've read it twice. He goes into this room, and then he meets the Baron, and the train guy, and this and the that, and and they they keep announcing them. And they 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 hang themselves? No, they don't hang themselves, they're just, like, hung, for no reason. They They turn
0: into the actual instruments of their own hanging. Sure,
1: and then he's surrounded by a room of people who, I guess, aren't supposed to look like him, but they do... And it's like okay, well, who are these guys? It doesn't matter. The judge is coming, and the judge is going to shoot all these people up. And she's a blonde woman. Why is she a blonde woman? I don't know. Who is she supposed to be? This isn't Annie Oakley. I don't like. I don't know who. Again, like she's Winona Earp. That it's the prequel. She should be so lucky, right? Wynonna Earp so, is never uh, no because like, the Annie's, end of the
0: first issue has a has a little ad for Pretty Deadly, which another mystical comic series that I did not enjoy. But at least they're... You had Emma Rios on art yeah. giving it her all and saying, well, I didn't really like the That's story. The thing. When I people, did-
1: if people are willing to give Pretty Deadly the time of day at all, it is not because of the script. Because people were even saying at the time when, when the first arc was coming out, it's like, okay, it's Sandman light. She really, really wants to be...
0: Western gaming Real
1: Gaiman, and she is not. All of this discussion about death and Jenny and da-da-da-da-da. Nobody understood what she was looking at. But Emma Rios' art made that book. It is yes. the reason that that book is coming back for more. So, at least that. You know, here, it's just... It put me in the mind Balboni of. Balboni
0: is not Emma Rios.
1: No, and it put, and Schirmer, though, bears most of the responsibility here. Because he put me in the mind of Alish Cote This is exactly what happens when it's like... <laughs> yeah, okay, let me show you my experimental idea about how I want to talk about, like, meta... He wants to be metafiction. Like, he wants to do it. And you can do that. You can absolutely have metafictional discussions in comics embedded in your stories and talking about the nature of stories and talking about authorship and archetypes and how we imagine the West versus how it actually was. Sure, you can have all of that. But if you do not give your readers any reason to care about what is happening here why do you expect them to make it to the end and be like uh, let's not yes. tr-
0: let's not turn this into our endless Alice code uh, versus No, no, no. I'm, I'm
1: talking about Shermer specifically yeah, okay. the code thing is just an analogy but it is something yeah. that's happening but with you got admit le-
0: you got to admit that at least code is trying to make it interesting for good or ill a I'm sure that Shermer is look, trying to make it interesting no no too. change or the end of zero were not flat the weirdness was very interesting to look at very interesting to Think about, even if you hated it, it wasn't just boring, and this is just boring. So yeah. this for me is the worst kind of experimental metafictional writing, which is,
1: it's nothing. Like it's bad enough that you are, and again, like I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but if you want us to go on this journey with you, understand that telling us how clever you are will not convince us. You want to show, like there is a scene in this issue in which a guy is that David Bowie? I assume it's David Bowie. Someone who doesn't even look like David Bowie. He has like this blonde parted thing. I assume a, it's
0: the Finn White Duke version.
1: And he's standing up and, and he's And I, w-
0: I would give them credit that it's not in bad taste and this was planned and at least partly drawn before he died. Because, I would hope so. Because if it's a response to his death, that's really important. Like, but taste.
1: then, like, okay, let's take that on as a given that it is the Finn White Duke. Why is he here? David know. Bowie's persona You I've recognize never had that song? to do with the Westerns.
0: I've traveled the country looking. Is this a David Bowie song? Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe it's someone else. It's one of those things where the writer assumes that you know the people he's talking about. And... Yeah. It's a reference to something. Yeah, because maybe, you know, if you know the history of Tom Ketchum, the real Tom Ketchum, maybe you know what this is.
1: And, the, and well, that's another know, thing. It's like he doesn't if even If you know
0: Ambrose Beers, well, if you know Ambrose Beers. Read Emerald's Beer stories. Sure. Read read the Devil's
1: Dictionary. It's a great read. It's the funnest dictionary ever written. You're not wrong about that. That rem- who else did that trick where a writer turns up and it's like you might as well read him?
0: Again, um, Ellis Afterlife. Scott.
1: No no no. Afterlife. Afterlife? Uh Joshua Hale Fialkov does this thing where a guy oh. commits suicide and he meets oh, Ernest right. Hemingway. Yes, well, I remember. Just it. go read Ernest Hemingway. What do you need Fialkov to channel him ineffectively? Mm. You yeah. know it's... afterlife was
0: afterlife was for me something like that only with good art which not Yeah, but interesting it didn't,
1: but like you're not reading afterlife I've read the first two trades Do you want to keep going? Mm, eh, no, but exactly. I but I didn't uh, hate it I didn't hate it My hatred here it's not hatred it's it's mm-hmm. anger I want to encourage more writers to be you know experimental and to be metafictional and by all means like you know, what was my favorite miniseries of last year? Oh, Killstrike. Which did exactly this. Talking about archetypes and the, the history of, of the medium as focused through a character as ridiculous as Killstrike. Right? You could absolutely do that. But the whole reason that story even works at all is because when you meet Jason in the first issue, you find him to be ridiculous. And you're invested in that. And Killstrike, this, this is going to sound yeah. ridiculous. Killstrike was likable. Hmm. For all that he was a 90s cartoon... He was a nice guy. You know, yeah. he's like, sure, let me help you find your father and achieve vengeance. Yeah,
0: and I told you before the podcast, I've just started rereading the Milligan and McCarty team-ups, which Dark Horse have reprinted in a nice thick hardcover, which you should buy. It's a great price and a great deal. On- Is great. it still in print? I think so. Yeah. Uh, or at least, you know, it's some comicsology, obviously. Oh. Okay. Because Dark Horse has the rights now. They can publish it. Thank yeah. God. These are odd stories, and in in many of them, nothing is explained. Like, why is Paradox getting the suit that turns him into, like, an invisible ghost man? What's the book? Why, Why is he now a superstar? Why there are suddenly super villains in this reality? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. The mood is great. The characters are interesting. It's fun. It's not full of itself. This is... Yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I really wanted to like Blackjack Jack him, but. Complete and Black Jack utter or Jack Black? waste
1: of time. Blackjack or Black Jack, Jack Black? Blackjack. Black Jack. If it were Jack Black, we'd be having a completely different conversation <laughs> about a useless comedian who has not made anybody laugh since 1991. But that is a story for another time. Mean. I am, yes. yes. Uh, okay, so.
0: Uh, so this was a smorgasbord. Until next time, I was Tom Shapira. And I'm Sean Edry. Bon appétit.